We are continuing our, our series today um, that is very simply and sweetly called Faith. And, um, and I was thinking as I was prepping for this message that so often in our life, our faith is, is tested when we're waiting for something or when we're living in the unknown, when we're looking towards something or desiring something, we don't know when it's coming or how it's coming, we don't know if it will come. And I wonder if you might just, just close your eyes for a little second. Sometimes it's just nice to eliminate some of the distraction around us and picture in your own mind what it is that you desire most. Maybe it's, it's a partner or a successful career, a career change. Maybe it's the dream home. Maybe it's to be healed from an illness. Maybe it's to have a, a relationship reconciled. Maybe it's retirement, you've had enough of work, you're done. Maybe as we've thought about today, it's, it's to have children that are loving the Lord and making good choices. Right, you can open your eyes. We've, I'm sure something came to mind, right? We've all got these things that we long for in life or the next big thing that we're trying to work towards. And, and so often they, they're big, important life things, right? So often they're, they're milestones that are coming up. And it seems so often that there is just a thousand and one ways that we can be reminded we don't have the thing that our heart is longing for in this, this culture around us. I was thinking about the fact Tom and I are nowhere near buying a house for ourselves, but we started dreaming, right? And so that means, you know, I've got the real estate app on my phone, I'm taunting myself every single week. But not only that, but, you know, the algorithms and the things that our phones can do are terrifying and scary. It knows what my dream house is now. And so when I'm on Facebook or I'm even just on the internet, I'm getting ads for my dream home, way out of our price range, not even close to our near immediate future. And so I'm being reminded quite regularly of something that I would love to have and may never get, who knows. But we do it all the time, right? If we know someone who's single, we ask them if they're dating someone. The second someone gets married, when are you having kids? It's like the second we start work, we finally get a full-time job, we're ready to go. We think, man, retirement would be really nice, wouldn't it? I think I've done my time already. When kids are in high school, we ask them what they want to do with the rest of their life. Like, that's not an unbelievably loaded question. The answer might not change five times in their lifetime. Social media in general has an uncanny knack of leaving this gaping hole in our heart. It can so often leave us feeling discontent. But I know also that humans have been really, really good at comparison for a long time. And I think we, we had that ability to do that to ourselves long before Facebook came into the picture. But it's so often in these little moments, these little moments of niggling or aching or discontent where we just start wondering, God, what are you doing? Am I going to get this thing? Is it, is it good for me to have this? It feels like something that would be good for me to have. Why aren't you bringing it? Why, why am I waiting for these things? We start asking all these questions and doubt might creep in. Very rarely, I think, do we actually stop and wonder, okay, if I actually got this thing, what would life look like on the other side? How would I want to live intentionally if I actually got the thing that my heart's been aching for? And today we get to ask that question, of, okay, what sort of posture should we be holding in these moments? These moments where we're waiting, we're longing for aching for these beautiful things that life has to offer. And what does faith look like in the moments where we actually receive the gift that we've been longing for? 
We're, um, we're looking at the story of Hannah today. So if you've got your Bibles with you and you want to open up to um, 1 Samuel chapter 1, that would be very good. It's a, quite a long passage, so we're going to read it as we go today. We're going to tell the story as we go. So if you've got your Bibles, um, that would be wonderful to have. And this is an incredible story of, of faith. Hannah has an incredible testimony. So let's, let's launch into the passage we meet Hannah in 1 Samuel 1 in the Old Testament. We actually meet her through her husband, Elkanah, in verse 2 of the passage. And it says of Elkanah that he had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. And we can see here so early in this passage what, what Hannah would have seen when she closed her eyes just before. She, she's longing for a child. And see, in this time, thousands of years ago, particularly in this, this ancient world culture, having a husband was crucial for a woman. If you did not have a, a husband or you were young and you had your family looking after you, you were in serious trouble. You had no security, no finance. Women were viewed as objects for the most part. You really needed a husband. And Hannah had this. But then once you had a husband, you were supposed to produce heirs, children, to carry on the family line. And this was something that, that Hannah was unable to have experienced so far. And in this culture, it was so often a cause for serious dishonor and shame for a woman if she wasn't able to, to have a child. And Hannah, the woman that we are looking at today, she would not have been able to ignore her lot. She would have been constantly reminded by her neighborhood, by the people around her, that there was this hole in her life, but also in her own family. There was a second wife and there were children in this home that weren't hers. And we need to stop there, right? Because I know we just brushed pretty quickly over the fact that this man has two wives. It's not normal for us, right? That's not even close to our concept of what marriage would be in Australia in the 21st century. And these dynamics are pretty important to understand if we want to get what Hannah's brain space is like at the moment. Polygamy, you know, more than, more than one wife is, is seen quite often in the Old Testament. And we can look at this and immediately jump to like, that's just lust, that is social decay, that's not on, that's not even close to what our moral compass when it comes to marriage would be. And what I said before was, was so true, that if you were a woman, you didn't have a husband, you were in serious trouble. And so while marriages that looked like this were a really off-kilter way to combat that, often in the ancient world, that's what it was. If you had more wives, that was more women that were cared for. It was more women that were taken off the street. And so while it doesn't make any sense to us, and we can be assured that this is not God's design for marriage that's made very clear in Genesis and in the teachings of Jesus, that's a little bit of an explanation of what's going on here. Because this is an honourable family. They love God. They're following the Lord None of us are perfect, even those that love and obey God every day of our life have things that are off, but that's just some attempt to try and highlight a little bit of what's going on in this um, rather strange family situation. But I wanted to read a little bit further. If you've got your Bibles and want to read with me, we're just going to read verses 3 to 6 to get a little bit more of a picture of the, the family's life. It said, year after year, this man, that's the husband, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. 
Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival, that's Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And so as I said, this was a faithful family. We can see that they're, they're going away to Shiloh to worship, to sacrifice in accordance with the law. This was a time when Israel wasn't doing very well as a nation. They were supposed to be God's chosen people, but they were disobeying the Lord. They were disobeying the, the law that Moses had written down for the Israelite people to follow. But we can see that this family, they're doing the best they can to continue to obey God and worship with a right heart. We can also see that Hannah is loved by her husband. We don't know exactly what a double portion means, whether she got double the meat to sacrifice or she just got the purest, best portion of the meat. But he's showing her favor in this moment. We can see that even though she hasn't been able to fall pregnant, have a child, he loves her nonetheless. But we can also see that Peninnah, despite everything that she has, keeps grief and trouble continuously on top of Hannah's aching and longing. So she's married Hannah, she's loved, and, and for all intents and purposes in this society, she's pretty secure. But we know that that doesn't mean the longing's not there, right? Doesn't mean she doesn't feel that hole and that impatience and that frustration about this thing that she longs that she doesn't have. And if we read on a little bit further in verses 7 and 8, we can see that Peninnah's bullying of Hannah, it only continues. It says, This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her until she wept and wouldn't even eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? But we can see a little bit of a picture here of what happens when those, those longings and those achings in our heart aren't fulfilled and we just let them rise up until that's what overflows out of us. There's this discontentment, there's this distraction, we lose our joy. And in a lot of ways, this is justified, this is normal, this is the waves of life that we ride but it results in those moments where we could be sitting in church surrounded by a loving family. We could be out at dinner at our favorite restaurant with our friends, but deep down inside us, we just feel like everything is wrong. We're blind to the many blessings that we have in our life because we're so focused on this, this one thing that our heart longs that it doesn't have. And when we're in these seasons, when we have this longing, this wanting, how we respond to God really matters. And Hannah gives us a beautiful example in this passage. We can see that she is grieving, she's taunted, she won't even eat, she's so distraught. And she leaves the table at this festival and she runs off. And what is it that you would do, I wonder? I thought of some of the things, if I was having a really bad day, I'd probably want to whinge to my friends or my husband. I'd maybe want to yell at something or cry. Maybe if you had this kind of heart, you'd even want to seek revenge on Peninnah for being so, so awful. There's so many things that jump to mind where we want to lash out. We just want to get some of this anger and this frustration off our chest. What would you do? What does Hannah do? 
very different to all of those things. We can see in verse 10, it'll be up on the screen here, that in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. It's such a raw, raw picture. And this phrase, weeping bitterly, it is a real personal struggle. For those of you that know the story of Job, it's the same Hebrew words that are used time and time again to describe Job's heart when he lost everything that meant anything to him. It was the same word used to talk about Naomi in the book of Ruth when she lost her sons. Hannah is at the depth of her despair in this moment. And it could be a time where she might have fallen at at the feet of the Lord and she could have told him exactly what she thought. If she was really frustrated, unhappy, she might have been asking God something like, why why haven't I had a child? It's good for me to have a child. That's, That's what I'm here to do. That's what I want to give to my husband and to my family. I could imagine her saying something like that, telling God that she knows exactly what's good for her. Why hasn't he caught up on the memory yet and given her what she longs for? But her tone is quite different. She calls on him and she says that she made a vow. She said, the Lord Almighty, and and that doesn't look like much there, but when you look at the original language, she's using a really special title of God. It's like Lord of hosts, Lord Almighty. It's, It's calling on God as the one that created everything. It's this phrase that acknowledges that God is the one that made all life. He has control over all things. And she longs for life in her womb. And so that's how she calls on the name of God. But not only that, more than once in this passage, she calls herself a servant or a slave could be another way to translate that word. And even that's powerful as well. She's acknowledging that this relationship she has with God is not just about taking from him, but giving too. She is at his service. And she makes a vow at the end of that verse, but we're going to touch on that a little bit later. She's actually praying with such fervor. You can begin to imagine, try and picture this sight. She's praying with such fervor that the priest of the temple, Eli, he comes over and he actually thinks she's drunk. She thinks that she is out of her mind, on the floor, not in a good way. But she explains herself in verse 15. She says, no, not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. And Eli accepts this on some level and he blesses her. But it's so powerful, I think, in this moment that Hannah, she didn't seek revenge on Pananar in this moment. She didn't whinge. She didn't try and and tell God what the right thing for him to make happen in that moment was. She, She ran and she fell at the feet of God that she loved. And she prayed, she just poured out her heart. And we can see the effects of this in verses 18 and 19. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And she went on her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. And early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and they went back to their home at Ramah. So often it's like this, hey, if we just need to get something out, we need to have a good cry, we wash our face, we have something to eat, we feel a lot better, right? But I think that there's a much deeper lesson going on in this because when Hannah fell at the feet of the Lord, 
She needed, she needed a win. She needed a victory. But the victory that she got was not over her circumstances. It was in her own heart. She walked away from that prayer. She wasn't immediately pregnant. Peninnah wasn't any kinder. But just being in the presence of the Lord that she loved, the Lord that she knew, understood, was enough of a comfort to her that she could step up again. No, she wasn't alone. Go from that place, eat again, and continue on worshipping. So often, I think that we, we approach God with these longings, with impatience. Sometimes we treat him like a genie or a vending machine, and out of just our strong desire or sometimes even arrogance, we tell God what we need, what his will should be for our life. But when we do this, we walk away discontent because our circumstances usually don't immediately change. And we've decided that these things that we want in life are more important than God, are more important than a relationship with him. If we approach God like a trusted friend, one that understands, who sees us, who will walk with us, we will be comforted and we'll leave that interaction changed because of the relationship we can have with our Lord. Hannah's desire might not have been fulfilled, but she knew that her love of her God, she knew that he was enough for her. Her desire to know him was still greater than her desire for a child, and she trusted that he would bring good things to her in his own perfect timing. But if we read at the end of verse 19, there's this little phrase that says, the Lord remembered this is a really exciting phrase in Scripture. If you see the words, the Lord remembers, particularly in the Old Testament, you know something big is about to happen. The Lord remembered Noah when he was out on his big ark with his family, and that was when the winds came and, and blew away the floodwaters, and they were able to start life again on, on the ground. The Lord remembered the Israelite people, and the next minute they're busting out of slavery in Egypt. And we need to understand, the Lord remembered. It doesn't mean that the Lord forgot. It didn't mean that God was just up in the clouds and he'd totally forgotten the plight of his people or their sufferings. It just means that this was the moment where God was going to fulfill a promise, where God was going to do a miracle, where God was going to, in his perfect timing, do something incredible. And we can see in this verse that the Lord remembered Hannah and she fell pregnant. She fell pregnant with a beautiful baby boy. And he was to be named Samuel. And now Samuel, he is going to be a really, really significant person in the history of Israel. He was going to be the one who would go on to appoint the kings of Israel. He would call those kings out when they weren't doing as well as they should have been doing. But what Hannah does when she finally receives the longing of her heart is another example of how incredible this woman of faith really is. And I want to go back to that, that vow that we brushed over in verse 11 to look at this. It's on the screen, the vow that she made with the Lord as she wept bitterly. She said, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head." We can get a little bit more of an idea of what she's talking about by that phrase, no razor will be ever used on his head, which is kind of weird for us. 
But we can assume that what she was talking about because of that phrase was that she was going to take her son and she was going to submit him to something called a Nazarite vow or Nazarite service. This is something that we read about in the Old Testament. It was where men would set themselves aside to live a really, really pure life for God. They wouldn't cut their hair, they wouldn't drink, they would stay away from from dead bodies, things like that, anything that would mean that they had purity of body and spirit so that they could serve the Lord. And we can read in Numbers chapter 6, a book earlier in the Bible, that there are ways that that sort of vow, it, it had an expiration date. There were ways in which people could leave that service. But as far as Hannah is concerned here, Her son could serve all the days of his life in this way, away from her, away from his family. And that was the promise that she was making. What she's finally been given, before she's even given it, she offers it back to the Lord for the service of his kingdom. That is mind-blowing. It's crazy. If we read on a little bit further, from verse 21... It says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice again to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only then may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. And this is pretty incredible in a few counts as well. To, to wean a child in this time it was not a short affair. She would have had this beautiful season with her son, and yet still she would take him for service with the Lord. The other incredible thing is that Elkanah in this moment, he could have made this vow Hannah had made with the Lord null and void. He could have vetoed it. We can read that in Numbers 30 back there again. Again, it's a little bit of a depiction of what women were worth in this age. If a woman was young and she made a vow with the Lord, her father or her brother could say, "Mm -mm, null and void. If she was married, her husband could say, no, null and void. But Elkanah doesn't do that here even though he probably had pretty good reason to, right? He would get to keep his son. This longing that his wife had had for so long, she would be able to live a life of joy with her son, but instead she respects her faith. She respects her obedience to her Lord, and he says, do what's best for you. And so Hannah takes her son away. We can read that in um, verse 26. She sees Eli again, and she says to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord, and he worshipped the Lord there. That's where Samuel stayed. And that's just incredible. It's like winning the lottery and giving every single cent of it to a charity, to the church, It's like finally being able to buy the dream home and giving it away to someone else. And this kind of, this kind of sharing, this kind of openness, it's it's not our first inclination most of the time. If we're being honest, we are far more prone to sharing something we're excited about, sharing something we want, and if anyone else shows any interest in it, going, nope, it's mine. I don't want you a part of it. I think we do it with God a little bit too. 
we'll beg and we'll ask and we'll tell him exactly what we want. And as soon as we get it, we kind of put our guard up a little bit. We're scared God will ask something of us. We're scared that there might be a condition on this gift that we weren't expecting that doesn't sit well with us. We want to take these things for ourselves and kind of remove God from the story at that point. But Hannah teaches us something incredibly powerful about these seasons of life when we are waiting for the deepest desires of our heart, but also about when we receive them too. She makes it abundantly clear in her example that whether we are waiting in life, whether we are winning, I guess, in a sense, we need to worship. And I don't know what it was that that you might have pictured earlier. Maybe it was something that you haven't received yet. Maybe it is something that you have and you were just overcome with the sense of thankfulness that all you could ever desire is present in your life, a loving family, a home, a job that fulfills you, all of these sorts of good things. But we have so many lessons we can learn. If you're in a season of life today where there are things that are really aching and and weighing on your heart that you're still longing for, I was thinking about the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 where he says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for fish, would give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? We have, through Jesus, the chance to be able to come and fall at the feet of God, just like Hannah did, and to share with him the deepest longings of our heart. I think so often we don't even get to this point, you know? We just want to talk about it with our friends, talk about it with our parents, talk about it with our our sister, our brother, and we never even get to God. It's kind of like whinging about your pay rate to your co-workers rather than asking the boss for a raise, and in a sense. But we can come before God and we can share with him. We can ask him for the desires of our heart. We can share with him our longing and our frustration. But I think the big lesson that we learn from Hannah is that we need to come to God and make sure that he is our first and our greatest desire. Because that's the only way that we can enter into those interactions with God and still walk away content, still knowing that we have enough, even if we haven't gotten that thing that we wanted yet. This makes me think of the time when I I heard God tell me that, that I was to go to Bible college. I was fresh out of school, and it turns out that that you're going to Bible college was not a right now, it was a you're going to Bible college in four years, and I was not very happy to have to wait. I did another degree, I traveled, I grew up a little bit, but I look back at that experience now, and I'm just so aware at how much more I would have loved Bible college than God if I'd just gotten to go there immediately in that waiting and in that enduring with God, by the time I stepped into that college for the first day, it felt like the greatest gift I'd ever been given in my whole life. And it was, almost. It was up there. It's top five, easy. It's an incredible thing to be content in our Lord. In the seasons of wanting that we have, we need to trust, we need to surrender, we need to pray, we need to ask in faith, knowing that sometimes we might not ask for something that's good for us, 
We might ask for something that's good for us, but the timing is not perfect in God's eyes. We can see that having faith in those seasons means incredible surrender and trust, putting God as first place in our life. And that is so tough. I know that that's really hard, but it builds a deep character in us, a deep perseverance and a love for God in our hearts. And for those seasons when we feel like we're winning, where we've received the desires of our heart, Proverbs 3.9 reminds us that we need to give our first fruits, we need to give our best crops back to the Lord. Now, we might not be completely separated from the beautiful blessings in our life in the way that Hannah was. Most of the time, that, that won't be the story for us. But I think this reminds us at the least, we need to be able to hold those things openly in our hands to use them for God's kingdom, for God's glory. It's like finally finding the partner that you've always dreamed of and committing to loving one another, sanctifying one another, pointing one another to Jesus. Finally getting the dream job and using the finances well, being generous with what you have. Finally receiving healing over something in your body and committing every day to leave the house and tell the world what happened to you and who did it. This is what it means to get these gifts and to give them back to the Lord, offering these good gifts back to him. They came from God in the first place, all these good gifts. We read that in James. Having faith in these seasons, it, it can mean sacrifice in a way. It can mean selflessness. But again, it also just means ensuring that God is first place in our lives so we can hold these things with an open hand and not clutching them with any sort of greed in our hearts. Hannah's story is so challenging. I love this story. It challenges the way that we approach God with our desires. It challenges the way that we use the good gifts that we have for him. And whether there might be something in your life today that you are waiting for, I hope that today as we respond, as we worship together, you might just feel so safe afresh to fall at the feet of your God, to share with him what is on your heart, but to walk away from this place, have something to eat at morning tea, Continue to worship, content that our God is good. And for the rest of us who may feel abundantly blessed, like we've got all of this good stuff in our life, we have a generous church. We've seen it so many times before, and it's beautiful. But let's never grow apathetic to that. Let's continue to give cheerfully with a joyful heart, whether that's money, time, relationship, whatever it might be. We need to continue to give these things over. If our faith as a church could continue to grow to be more selfless, more surrendered, more willing to sacrifice, open to change, so in love with God that the twos and fro's of this life don't completely knock us out, I'm so confident that we will see new people come to know the gospel. We'll see ministries supported and all of our hearts will be even more devoted to God as we serve and as we live with him. And so just like Hannah, it's my prayer for us as a church that whether we are waiting, whether we're winning in this life, we will always be worshipping, trusting that the Lord is good and watching him do incredible things as we partner with him. I'm going to invite the team up now as we pray. If you would like prayer this morning, if there is something heavy in your heart or in your life and you just want to share. If you just want to fall at the feet of God, please, um, I'll be down the front. There'll be, there'll be the team around if you would like to share with anyone. Um, but I would just love to pray for us now as we respond to our Lord.
Father, we thank you so much for the testimony of Hannah. What an incredible woman to go through suffering, to go through pain and heartache, but to have such an open heart to you all of the way. And Lord, we pray that as we just sit and we reflect today on your love for us and your open arms towards us, that we would come to you afresh, fall at your feet, Lord, whether we are praising you for our blessings or weeping bitterly, and we would be open to your working in our life. Lord, if there are people here today who are just feeling so worn down by their circumstances, Lord, I pray that you would do a powerful thing in their hearts right now in this place as they worship, as they pray, as they come before you. Would you remind them of your love and your sufficiency, God? Remind them that you will never leave them or forsake them. You'll walk with them. And help us, those who feel so very blessed, like we have so many of the things that we've always desired. Help us to remain open with those things when we're tempted by the hustle and bustle of life to just look inward and to close ourselves in, Father, would you help us to continue to look out, to encourage our brothers and sisters, to welcome the lost, to to do whatever we can, Lord. Help us to have arms that have such an open posture to you. Help us to have faith that is willing to be sacrificial, selfless, Lord, and based in such a deep love of you. We thank you for the beauty of your word and for all the things it can teach us and convict us and encourage us with. And we pray that that you would use this testimony of Hannah's this week, Lord, to open up your kingdom that little bit more, bring a little bit more joy and restoration into this, this dark and messy world that we live in. And so we thank you that we can just rest now as a family in this place, Sweep from our minds the distraction and the clutter, Lord, and help us to just see you. Help us to just see you and to fall at your feet, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.